Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct and welcome back to Halloween episode three. Now, if you are just tuning in and are unfamiliar with what Halloween is, Halloween is the one special time of year where we post five true crime Halloween inspired cases back to back for the five days leading up to Halloween. So from October 24th to October 28th, you guys are going to have a new episode of Killer Instinct every single day. It is the craziest time of the year, but it is the best time of the year. And if you are just tuning in, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. On a regular week, we post weekly, not daily, just weekly, every Wednesday and then every Thursday again on YouTube as well. And you are not going to want to miss it. Now for today's episode of Week, we are talking about the unsolved case of Cindy Song. Cindy went missing in 2001, and her case is very interesting because during the investigation of her case, it really unfolded into something that no one had ever expected. However, to this day, there are still so many more questions and answers regarding what happened to Cindy and where she is. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Cindy Song was born on February 25th, 1980. She was born in South Korea and her birth name is Hyung Jong Song. However, when she was a teenager, she ended up relocating to the United States to attend high school and that's when she decided to just go by the name Cindy. In 1995, Cindy moved to Virginia to live with her aunt and uncle and to attend high school. After high school, she got accepted into Pennsylvania State University, where she majored in integrative arts. And I didn't know this about Cindy's major. However, after looking into it, it's pretty interesting because she was really able to create her own curriculum. And which, while that might sound easy, Cindy definitely did not take the easy way out. She was taking engineering classes, science classes, communication classes, and along with that, Cindy was also working two part-time jobs. So she was incredibly driven, incredibly motivated. She had set goals for herself and she was determined to accomplish them. So this all brings us to October of 2001. And at this time, Cindy was a senior in college at Penn State and was planning on graduating in just a couple months in the next upcoming spring. But right now, this is Halloween, October 31st, 2001. Now, Cindy's Halloween plans consisted of her going to a costume party that was being held at a place called Players Nightclub, and she was going with her two friends, Stacy and Lisa. Now, Cindy was dressed up as a bunny this particular year. That was her costume, and her friends made it a point to say that Cindy always just wanted to be cute. She wasn't really into the sexy costumes, but she always wanted to be cute. So she had a little skirt on and bunny ears and a tail and she was ready to go. She arrived at Players Nightclub that night and her, Stacy, and Lisa stayed until about 2 a.m. And then once 2 a.m. hit, the three girls decided to keep the party going and they ended up going over to a friend's house to play video games and that lasted another two hours until approximately 4 a.m. 
And by 4 a.m., everyone was pretty exhausted. They were ready to call it a night. And that is when Stacy drove Cindy back to her apartment complex called the Park Apartments, and that was located on Clinton Avenue. Now, Stacy was the designated driver that night, so she drove both Lisa and Cindy back home, and Cindy was the first stop. Cindy got out of the car and gave Stacy a wave before Stacy drove away. But little did Stacy and Lisa know that this would be the last time that anyone would see Cindy again. Now, Cindy did not live alone. She did have a roommate. However, the roommate was not home at the time that Cindy got back from her Halloween night. The roommate ended up getting back later in the day, and Cindy was not there by that point. However, she wasn't concerned about Cindy's absence by then. Nothing in the apartment looked out of place, and the door was locked when she got home. Now, for the following three days, no one had heard from Cindy. So from November 1st to November 3rd, no one heard from from Cindy. Now, Cindy was a very independent person. It wasn't unlike her friends to not see her for a couple days. However, even though she was very independent, she was also very timely and responsive. So if her friends had reached out to her and texted her or called her, she always would respond. So after three days of zero contact, her friends were actually the ones that officially filed a missing persons report for Cindy on November 4th, 2008. And one. Now, once the missing persons report was filed, police were able to go to Cindy's apartment and search through all of it. And when they did that, they were able to come to the conclusion that they were almost certain that Cindy made it into her apartment that night after being dropped off by Stacy. Now, the reason that they believed that was because the backpack that Cindy had brought with her out that night was in her apartment. Along with that, her fake eyelashes that she wore that night with her costume was sitting on her desk. And not only that, if that wasn't convincing enough, Cindy's cell phone was found in her apartment as well. Now, what was missing from her apartment were her keys and her purse. Now, this struck her friends as extremely worrisome. Obviously, I think it would to anyone because her friends knew that Cindy never went anywhere without her phone. Now, when detectives got a hold of her phone in her apartment, they were able to see that the phone did not have any battery left in it, so it was a dead phone. However, her friends still thought it was odd that she would leave it behind. The detective on this case said, quote, we know that whenever she left her apartment that she was wearing the clothes she had on that night. We also know that her purse, her pocketbook, and whatever she had with her that evening that contained her driver's license and credit cards were with her too, because we could not locate those in her apartment, end quote. So her ID is missing, her credit cards are missing, and her keys are missing as well. Now, a theory that police were able to knock off right away was a theory that Cindy, for whatever reason, decided to run away and involuntarily leave. 
Cindy would not just run off on her own accord or just run away. She was very happy. And in fact, she had just bought concert tickets for a concert that was taking place in a few days. And she had also recently bought a computer that was in transit to be delivered at the time of her disappearance. Along with that, police checked her cell phone, credit cards, and email activity. And there were no suspicious calls or emails made around that time or at the time that Cindy got home. And there were no activity on her credit cards. Now, when it came to the search for Cindy, you had many people in the community trying to look for her. You had all of the Penn State students, you had her friends, just people in the community. Everyone was looking for Cindy. They were looking in woods and in alleys. However, there was not a single trace of her. And you also have to remember the time frame here. This is 2001. So there really was no GPS tracking or social media activity tracking to keep up with. And they also didn't have the ability to, you know, ping a cell phone. And there weren't any security cameras at Cindy's apartment complex that were able to point police in a specific direction. So because of all of these variables, police were really starting at square one. Now that brings us to a few days after Cindy's disappearance, when a woman called in to the police station with a possible sighting of Cindy. This woman claimed that a woman who looked very similar to Cindy was screaming for help while being thrown into a car by another man. And the woman who called in the tip approached this man and woman to see what was going on between the two of them. However, the man intervened and told her to mind her own business and go off and to leave them alone. And as you can imagine, that is a very intimidating situation. So the woman decided to back off and walked away. However, immediately called 911 to report the incident. Now, this particular altercation took place a little over 200 miles where Cindy lived. It took place in Philadelphia's Chinatown district. There was a composite sketch drawn up of this man. The woman who called in the tip said that he had an olive complexion and medium length hair. However, those were really the only two physical traits that she could give. Now, the issue with this specific tip is that once police spoke to this woman over a course of some time, they had multiple discussions with her. She ended up changing her story every time they would speak to her. She would alter it a little bit. The facts would change. And so because of that, it was very difficult for police to use her as a reliable source and so ultimately they didn't end up throwing away the theory that this could have been cindy but they definitely put it on the back burner they were really in between a rock and a hard place because they weren't getting any other tips from the public this was the only one that they had however there wasn't anything to verify that this was cindy i mean if you think about it this was 200 miles away and the woman couldn't be 100 percent certain that this was cindy and the police, on the other hand, also did not know how to track down this man because the only two physical traits that they were given was the fact that he had medium length hair and an olive complexion. Now, after doing some more digging into Cindy's life and looking in her apartment and talking to her friends, police were able to piece together another theory. Now, when going through Cindy's room, police found a diary that Cindy had kept. And inside this diary, Cindy had talked about how her and her friends had been experimenting with drugs, more specifically weed and ecstasy. 
Now, because of this diary entry, police started to wonder if it was possible if she had used or taken any drugs on the night that she went missing and if one of two things happened. The first being that she could have had a horrible reaction to the drugs and it altered her mental state. And because of that, she could have ran off. She could have suffered from a really bad trip and run off. Or two, if she had potentially overdosed. But the thing about that theory is that there was nothing to back it up. There was nothing substantial about that theory because after police had spoken to Cindy's friends, the friends that were with her that night said that Cindy did not take any drugs the night that she went missing and she really even wasn't that drunk. She had a couple drinks that night, but nothing that would take her over the edge. So this brings us to one year later, and this case is at a standstill. Police were quite frankly in the same spot that they were in one year prior, the day that she disappeared. And they were really hoping for anything at that point that would put them in some sort of a new direction, hopefully, the right direction. And they were in luck because there was a TV show called Unsolved Mysteries that ended up creating an episode about Cindy a year after she went missing. Now this gave police a lot of hope because they were hoping that someone would see the episode and be refreshed about Cindy's case. Obviously having it happen a year prior, a lot of people tend to forget about these cases and a lot of people tend to not remember the details anymore. But police Police were hoping that with the refresher on this case, someone who could have possibly known something or seen something and didn't think it was important could come forward. And lucky for police, they did end up getting a new tip. And that tip led them to a man named Hugo Selensky. And I'm sure your next question is, who is Hugo Selensky? And we are going to talk all about that and answer all of those questions right after we take a quick second to thank our sponsors for today's episode. Hey guys, what's up? It's Savannah. I wanted to take a quick second away from Hollow Week to announce to my Killer Instinct family that I am starting a brand new podcast called My Thoughts Exactly. If you're familiar with my lifestyle channel on YouTube, then you already know that I have a lot of thoughts and I am certainly not afraid to share them. Everything from horrible breakups, self-worth, navigating friendships, health and wellness, and simply navigating life, I've shared it all. And don't worry, Killer Instinct isn't going anywhere, but I'm so excited to bring it back where it all started and tell it like it is. That includes the good, the bad, and the ugly. Think of it like us FaceTiming over a glass of wine. First episode premieres on November 9th, and you can subscribe on any podcast platform to stream it, and I can't wait to see you there. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. 
So who is Hugo Selensky is what you're probably wondering. Well, this was a man that police were very, very familiar with. Hugo started getting in trouble with the law when he was around 15 years old, and he was 27 at the time of Cindy's disappearance. Now, Hugo was not a great guy. He was known as a bank robber and a serial killer. Now, this is where things get a little interesting because there was a man named Paul Weekly. Now, Paul Weekly was an informant. Now, if you are unfamiliar with what an informant is, an informant is pretty much exactly like it sounds. It's someone who has information or receives information and then takes that information and relays that to an organization or an agency or to police or something like that. So Paul Weekly was an informant. And Paul Weekly told police that Hugo Selinsky had buried bodies in his backyard. Now, the reason that he said he knew this is because Hugo told him. Now, Paul Weekly was a very reputable informant. He had never told police anything that had not been proven to be true before. So police decided to go to Hugo's house themselves. And when they did and confronted him on the knowledge that they had about the bodies in his backyard, he acted very confused. And the police had asked Hugo if they could search his home. And again, he was acting very confused, not understanding why they would want to do this, but they ended up not needing Hugo's permission because they were able to arrest him for a warrant he had out for an aggravated assault and robbery that he had committed a year prior. So a year before this, he commits a robbery, an aggravated assault. He has a warrant out for his arrest. So police don't necessarily need his permission to search through his home because of that. So they were able to arrest him right on the spot. Now, bear with me here. I'm gonna try and explain this as clearly as possible, but this does tend to get a little confusing. So the man that Hugo had attacked and robbed the year prior, that man was named Michael Kurowski. And Michael Kurowski was an older gentleman who had a son named Michael Jr. So you have Michael Sr., Michael Jr. Michael Jr. has a girlfriend named Tammy. So you have the family tree, Michael Sr., then below that, Michael Jr., connected to Michael Jr., is the girlfriend, Tammy. Now, ever since Michael Sr. had gotten robbed, Michael Jr., as well as his girlfriend, Tammy, were missing. And I think most of us can probably sit here and say that that probably is not just a coincidence. Now, according to the informant Paul Weekly, Hugo had told Paul that Michael Jr. and Tammy were buried in his backyard. So those were the bodies that Paul was referring to when he gave that information to police. So police start digging up Hugo's backyard and they were astonished to figure out that not only did they find Michael Jr. and Tammy's bodies buried in the backyard, but they also found three other bodies buried in the backyard. So you have Michael Jr. and Tammy, and then two of the other bodies that were found were identified as local drug dealers in the area. And then the third body to this day has never been identified. However, it was confirmed that the third body was not Cindy Song. 
In 2011, Hugo went on trial for the murders of Michael Jr. and Tammy, and during this whole trial, a new bomb dropped. Now, Paul Weekly, the informant, decided to come forward and testify with more information that he had, that for whatever reason, he decided to withhold when he had first approached police. Paul Weekly told police that Hugo had admitted to him that he killed Cindy. However, he said he did not act alone in this murder. Hugo said that his accomplice to the murder of Cindy was none other than Michael Jr., so the man who was buried in his backyard. So Paul is now telling police that Hugo confessed to him that Michael and himself murdered Cindy. According to Paul, Hugo told him that on the night that Cindy went missing, him and Michael went down to the college town, and in those early morning hours, they ran across Cindy. There wasn't any information given about where they saw her or what time of night they saw her. However, point being, they said that they ran across Cindy in the early morning hours and kidnapped her. Now, there has been many different versions of what happened to her after that. And quite frankly, it's been a little bit of a wild goose chase about what exactly happened. There are a lot of different people who are coming forward with different stories. However, nothing has been confirmed. There have been different versions of this. Some people say that Cindy Cindy was kept in a walk-in freezer by Hugo until she got hypothermia and died in there. There have also been stories of her being kept in a giant safe in Hugo's home until she died. There's also been stories of Hugo and Michael Jr. assaulting her and burying her in Luzerne County. Now, with all of this new information, you now might be questioning why Hugo killed Michael Jr. And according to Paul Weekly, Hugo confessed to him that the reason he killed Michael Jr. to begin with is because Hugo found out that Michael Jr. had kept the bunny ears from Cindy's Halloween costume as a souvenir. And so that is the reason that he killed Michael Jr. because he did not want to be linked to Cindy's death whatsoever. He didn't want to be linked to it any longer. And he was mad at Michael Jr. for keeping a piece of the evidence. Now, this is something that we have seen before with other serial killers. They will keep quote unquote trophies. And that could range from anywhere from a body part to a piece of jewelry to a piece of clothing. And in this instance, it would be the bunny ears. Now, even though Paul Weekly says that that specific reason, the souvenir was the reason that Hugo killed Michael Jr., there have also been many people who have talked about the fact that Michael Jr. worked in pharmaceutical medicine and he was known to have illegally dealt prescription drugs. And so there has been talk about the fact that it was a drug deal gone wrong and that is why Michael Jr. ended up dead. But quite frankly, we really don't have a lot of proof on either side of this, whether it was a drug deal gone wrong or because it was of the bunny ears souvenir. So here's where police struggled with all of this information. Up until the point that Paul told them about the Hugo and Cindy connection and how Hugo was the one that killed Cindy, all of the information that Paul gave police had checked out. Everything that he had said ended up being true. However, when it came to Cindy, it was a lot more difficult to prove. 
Police were having a really hard time connecting Hugo to Cindy. And the only thing that they had to go off of was the story that Paul told them. And they didn't have any evidence to back it up. Now, a lot of the public had grown skeptical of Paul and Hugo and had wondered if they had absolutely nothing to do with it and were more so just inserting themselves in the case. And along with all of that, police have actually never been able to confirm where Hugo was the night that Cindy went missing. So they don't know if he was in the Penn State area. Now, Hugo was actually only charged with the murders of Michael Jr. and Tammy. He was not charged for the other three bodies found buried in his backyard, but he was charged with those murders of Michael Jr. and Tammy. So with that all being said, now let's talk about some theories. And the first theory I want to talk about does not involve Hugo. And this is one that police have gone back and forth on as well, something that they have mentioned to the public of being a possibility. Now, what police think is possible is that Cindy went home after the party. She was dropped off by Stacy and she went into her apartment. Once she got into her apartment, she decided that she needed to go to the 24 hour store that was located right down the street from her. This was something that she did pretty often. She oftentimes would come home after late nights and go to the 24 hour convenience store down the street. Now, police think it's possible that when she got to her apartment, her phone was already dead. So she thought that she wasn't going to be gone very long. So she would just leave it behind. Now, the way that Cindy would have had to walk to get to that convenience store is through an alleyway. Now, it is very possible that Cindy walked through that alleyway and ran across the wrong person at the wrong time. However, with this being such a crime of opportunity, it is hard to believe that with all of the belongings that Cindy had, meaning her purse, her wallet, her clothing, all of that, that that would have never been found to this day. I almost feel like it would have been more likely that if she was attacked by some random person in the alleyway, her body would have more than likely just been left there which is a horrible thought to think about. But if this was just one singular person who attacked her in an alleyway, it would have been very difficult to remove her body, place it somewhere where to this day it has never been found, as well as all of her belongings. And you also have to think about the time frame. She got dropped off at four o'clock in the morning. So the sun was going to be coming up very shortly. So even if someone did attack her in that alleyway, they wouldn't have had a lot of time in the darkness to conceal her body. However, I do think it's possible. It was Halloween night. There were a lot of people out. This is a college town. So it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. The second theory is that Cindy was killed by someone she knew. Considering her phone was found in her apartment and it was dead, along with the fact that there wasn't any suspicious calls or emails or texts or anything that pointed to the fact that she was planning on leaving her apartment to go meet up with someone, is it possible that she left her apartment to walk to the convenience store and on her way there saw one of her friends or someone that she knew out in public because it was a very big night to party. It was Halloween night, it's a college town. Lots of people are out and about and she ran into someone that she knew and things went south from there. It is a possibility. However, again, I feel like the likelihood of her never being found to this day, as well as all of her belongings never being found, 
it is harder to believe that to be the case. Now, the third theory here is that Cindy was killed by Hugo. Hugo is a serial killer that has experience. So this would not be his first rodeo. He knows how to get rid of a body. However, he can't confirm where he was that night. And Hugo did not live just down the street. He lived two and a half hours away from where Cindy was that night at college. However, again, Hugo was in his late 20s at this time. And this was a college town on Halloween. So there's lots of parties. It's a very happening spot. He could have decided to go down either by himself or with Michael Jr. And one thing led to another. They came across Cindy. They could have either dragged her into their car or they could have lured her away with them. However, I do have a hard time believing that she willingly got into the car knowing that she did not have her cell phone with her. There have been theories out there that state that Hugo and Michael Jr. thought that Cindy was a sex worker due to the costume that she was in. However, again, there's nothing to prove that either. Now, the fourth theory that I've seen talked about slightly, but not a whole lot, is the theory that this could be a police cover-up. Again, I've said it many, 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 many times in this episode that this was a college town. It was Halloween. It was a happening night. And if you've ever been to college or visited those types of towns on a very big night like Halloween, you know that there's a lot of security around. There's a lot of police cars. There's a lot of campus security cars. Is it possible that one of those campus security cars pulled up and either offered Cindy a ride to the convenience store and then ended up driving her away somewhere else? Because Cindy never made it to the convenience store. She was never seen there. So whatever happened to Cindy happened on her way to the store. So those are the theories, and I don't really know where I fall on them. I think that Hugo seems to be the obvious choice, so to speak. However, it doesn't seem super likely. No one can confirm where he was that night, but he also lived two and a half hours away. And you would think that if he went to Penn State for a party or went to a bar, someone would have had to have seen him. And hopefully someone would have said something to the police if they did see him. I do think that the campus security car makes a little bit of sense. And that theory is really upsetting because campus security or authoritative figures or police or security of any sense is there to make you feel safe. And so she could have trusted them for that reason and ended up trusting the wrong person. But with that being said, you guys, that is the case of Cindy Song, and I am very interested to hear what you guys have to say about it. So with that being said, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Thank you for tuning in to the third episode of Halloween. I will be back tomorrow with a brand new case for you guys, Halloween episode four. If you're new here, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday, then again every Thursday on YouTube as well, and you're not going to want to miss it. But today for this special week, I will see you tomorrow. So until then, stay safe. Bye guys.